Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fans in Motion podcast, the only podcast you didn't know you needed. It's just me and Josh today. I wasn't here last week, but now Brent's not here. So it's a good week. It's a good Josh, week. Uh, I'm back from feeling under the weather, but I think my friend Josh is now under the weather. Is that correct? Uh, you know what? I used to never get sick. I don't know if it's because I got a five-year-old. I used to drink enough Jägermeister where I always <laughs> said you can inject me with COVID and my body would kill it um but i haven't been a hard drinker for probably 10 years so maybe i need to to start back up but yeah the pro is i get this this deep sexy all-state voice and um there you go you know the ladies on there like who's this guy like like I'm you just, need some uh, music playing behind you a little wow, wow, wow. Um, i'm just here to talk about night ranger baby and it also helps my uh it also helps my hulk hogan listen here brother yeah so um, exactly yeah so those are the pros um feeling like shit that goes into the con column so this week on fans in motion <coughs> the ultimate night ranger podcast uh we have my friend my buddy Johnny Cola from Huey Lewis and the News. Um, now, if you are a first-time listener, let's say you're coming in from the Huey Lewis and the News world, um, I apologize. I'm not the most versed on the Huey Lewis and the News um, history, but um, I tried my best during this interview. I focused mainly on the pre-Huey Lewis and the News the you know the 70s the bay area clover um and really after the stardom hits uh, that's where i uh focused on and of course why he's in the night ranger world is because he was in rubicon at the very end so rubicon for those that don't know were a bay area band led by jerry martini who was in Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, they He put a band together after uh, his involvement with them. Um, that band included Jack Blades and Brad Gillis. Um, they put out two albums, one in 78, one in early 79. Their height really came when they played at Cal Jam 2 in 1978. Um, towards so the first album had a top 40 hit um still didn't really take off the second record released in early 79 really didn't take off um the original drummer greg eckler who we've had on um the podcast previously and unfortunately has passed away um he left the band and was replaced by kelly keggy who we all know is um in night ranger so that last formation of Rubicon had Brad Gillis, Jack Blades, and Kelly Kagey. And then um, Dennis Marcelino leaves and Johnny Cola um, replaces him. So Johnny Cola is in the last couple months of Rubicon with Kelly Kagey, um, Jack Blades, and Brad Gillis. So he's there for the breakup after Rubicon jack kelly 
and Brad decide to keep playing together, form a new band called Stereo. And Johnny, that's where Johnny gets us some very intriguing um, information because he is involved a little bit in Stereo, sings on a couple demos. One of those songs ends up on Dawn Patrol. Um, so in the Night Ranger world, this minutia is great because there's so little out there. What did stereo consist of? What songs? Um, so getting some of this information is great. So, uh, yeah. So, um, sit back, relax, grab a cool, tasty beverage and, uh, um, enjoy our interview with Johnny Kula of Huey Lewis and the News. Move in just a little bit there. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fans in Motion, the Ultimate Night Ranger podcast. And as Andy would say if he was here, the podcast you didn't know you needed. And today I have a very special guest. Um, he goes back into the night ranger world before there was night ranger and he's going to share a whole bunch of great stories with us the one the only an upstanding citizen johnny cola johnny thank you for joining us uh um i guess it's just me my other two cohorts uh, are nowhere to be found but uh thank you for well, taking the time and joining uh fans in motion here okay apparently they're not Huey in the news fans is that what you're saying well uh <laughs> the the uh the turnaround to get this going uh, didn't fit into everybody's schedule. Now, I got you. No problem. Th this mm -hmm. this is a big moment for me because Huey Lewis in the news fit is one of my earliest memories. Now I'm a little bit younger than some of these other uh, other guys that were on the podcast with me. I was born in 1977, but I was into music at a young age. Huh. and i remember I, my mom was a single mom i think uh she, you know we had just gotten this new apartment and it's 19 probably 84 and i remember mtv would show you what videos were coming on and it was 9 9 30 or whatever my bedtime and <laughs> i saw that if this is it would be coming on and i begged my mom let me stay up to watch this video i love this song i love the video i'm six years old and i remember she let me stay she's like yes yeah. she said why well they didn't play it for 40 minutes and at the time for many years that was the latest i had ever stayed up 10 11 o'clock <laughs> or whatever and so my whole life i've always remembered the first time i got to stay up past my my bedtime and you were part of part to blame because you co-wrote that song so uh <laughs> so it's kind of cool to be uh talking to you and i got my original record i got for christmas when i was six uh, i see that i see that so well, we're uh, spanning we're spanning generations because uh let me see uh, or let's see you were just going to bed the chances are i was just getting <laughs> up back then. let's face it i'm not gonna I'm not going to uh, uh, smooth talk it. You know, those were wild times and wild years. So. Well, um, so 
I'm here in Ohio. Where did everything kick off for you? Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Fairfield, Susan. Oh, let me get that right for my old friends. I was born and raised in Susun, Fairfield, California, uh, which is equidistant between San Francisco and Sacramento. Um, and, uh, um, you know, apparently I was a happy child. No, I don't. Uh, that's all there is there. Uh, except at some point uh, there in my uh, misspent youth, my teen years, uh, the summer love hit. And um, I, uh, it's a darn good thing I didn't le live in Ohio, okay? Because <laughs> there was so much going on in San Francisco with the Fillmore and the Avalon and the summer of love, uh, I would have left home. Fortunately, I was only 45 miles away from San Francisco and a bunch of us kids could jump in a car and get there and see all that stuff and experience whatever we experienced in Haight-Ashbury. I'm not at liberty to say until <laughs> maybe uh, some people aren't around anymore. To, and, uh, you know, we'd managed to get home by three or four in the morning. So there was uh, probably a lot of uh, Jefferson Airplane and um, uh, did you ever, uh, what about like, uh, what was the big one that was around Altamont? Did you ever make it to, to Altamont, that big show and with Jimi Hendrix I and I all did. right. Well, I've learned that like everybody I talked to around that area, I think it was required that you attend. Yeah. 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 Well, well I've got a, I got a quick story, I think, but I'll take too long. <clears throat> all right. Is, um, yeah. You talk about Jefferson Airplane, of course, they were the first one to jump out. Uh, mm -hmm. L.A., uh, all the A&R guys jumped here to, up here to see what the heck was going on and sign any band that was available. And as it happens, my favorite band, and my two favorite bands, were fairly obscure, but I, I, I was gravitated toward both of them because they were so musical and they, and they had horns. And I actually didn't play horn at the time. One was the Sons of Champlin, who in later years I, I became uh, and still am very good friends with Bill Champlin. Mm -hmm. And the other one was a fairly obscure band called the Electric Flag. All right. And, uh, and uh, I can tell you more. We'll jump into the Electric Flag probably a little later. But so... No, actually, we can do it right now. You're going to cut this up a little later, right? No, I, that's okay. just, no, we just let it roll. <laughs> let so, it roll, man. So we had a band, we had a high school band, and we jumped in a car with our girlfriends and shot off to the Fillmore to see Electric Flag. They just put out their first uh, record. And it's uh, Mike Bloomfield, Nick Gravenitis, Mark Naftalin, there's some names that may be familiar. Mike Bloomfield. Uh, yeah. yeah, I definitely have heard of Mike Bloomfield. And so... We get to the Fillmore, and I don't know, there may have been some substances involved, but the guitar player and I, my best buddy at the time, Bob Cohen, and I are sitting there, and we've got, we've wheedled our way into the balcony, and we're looking right down on the band, and they come in, they come on with a little flag blowing on the top of the amplifier, and bust it into killing floor, with Gravenitis screaming, Buddy Miles on drums, Gravenitis screaming, killing floor, and I look over at my guitar player and he's crying. He's so impressed by this whole thing. And he looks at me and I look at him. I said, we need horns in our band, huh? And he goes, yeah. 
<laughs> Reed was, and we sat there and watched the whole show and went back and put two horns in the band. And um, our lead singer at the time sort of gravitated. He was somewhere between Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison, wanted to be a bit of a rocker. And, you know, that was the summer of 69. That essentially broke up our band, as these things do. So that was fine. Now, um, but back to Altamont. Mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, we put horns in the band. And one of my good buddies played trumpet, and I had picked up the saxophone by this time. And uh, uh, back then, everything was on the dial, you know, AM and FM. And I'm pulling stations from both Sacramento and San Francisco. I'm getting everything. Uh, and that's what you did. You sat there in bed at night, and you twisted the dial and found your songs, your favorite DJs and stories that were told and contests and winners and all this stuff. So. Uh, I'm laying there and I catch wind of Altamont. Uh, so I announced to my mother, who was really sort of in charge with us two boys, I announced to her that I was going to go to this rock concert. And it was being held at uh, Sears Point, uh, right outside Vallejo, California. She says, okay, well, what is it? And I said, oh, it's just, you know, Rolling Stones, a bunch of other bands, you know, it's just, it's, hey, it's, 20 miles away, mom, no big deal. Great, okay, sounds like a great idea to me. So our trumpet player stays a night with me. Mom packs little tiny bag lunches. I mean, gosh, things were so simple back then. <laughs> here we are, my, my trumpet player's got an afro like this and I've got my, trying to grow my hair out. And uh, we drive to West Texas Street uh, entrance, uh, uh, Highway 80 entrance on West Texas Street in Fairfield, California. And uh, the fog's out and my mom opens the door and she looks and there are 30 kids hitchhiking to Altamont. And she goes, wow, this, uh, this is ostensibly, uh, we're going to Sears Point. The show had changed the night before. She says, wow, there's a lot of kids going to this show. I said, yeah, mom, yeah. So sure enough, she lets us out and we thumbed our way all the way to Altamont, experienced what everyone else did there. In fact, I got on stage for a New York minute as the Flying Burrito Brothers were playing because I was so enthralled with music back then. Uh, I'd do anything to get close to, not success, but certainly to see what success was like. And it took about 20 minutes for a Hell's Angel to come by and asked me what the hell I was doing there. And he, he gave me the boot and I left and found my buddy again. So <laughs> that's Altamont. Did so you... I won't digress so much with each question. <laughs> but it no, was I, that's, that's what that's what I want to hear is yeah, the actual, yeah. the, 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 the whole story. Um, it was a life changer for me. So did you even know at that young age, did you know that music is 100% what I want to do? Or did you have another career in mind and maybe music, you would try music as well? Where was your mind, you know, at graduation and looking forward to the next step? Yeah, well, uh, I call uh, high school the best five years of my life. <laughs> so let's clear that up right there. I um, had to uh, put a... a a period on on this conversation um i 
look, initials like ADD and ADHD and whatever you want to call that stuff mm. didn't exist back then. I was just a kid who had ants in my pants. That was the 50s and 60s term for it. And I had no focus. So although I knew what was going on with our read and write, writing and arithmetic, I didn't have any interest in it. I had a real good interest in sports and I did well, but I couldn't play on the team teams because um, um, my hair was too long. But um, I can remember I was going to fail high school. I was short four credits, thanks to um, uh, um, a certain guy in the, in the uh, faculty. And um, I, I snatched my report card as it came to the house, addressed to my mom and dad. And I opened it up and I looked at it. And I failed every class except band, my music class and choir, which I got A's in. And I handed it to a good buddy, a good high school buddy of mine, a big music fan. And I said, Steve, if you can change, if you can make those F's look like B's, give it back to me and I'll give it to my folks. And uh, he never did. So <laughs> 30 years later, he gave me the report card back. <laughs> so how did your, so when you, when you're, you just you decide that music is what it's going to be you know were your folks supportive did they did you come from a musical family you know did they give you like okay try it for two years if not you know do this just you know how was your what was your parents reactions when their long-haired son is going to be a musician well it started way before that you know obviously in grammar school it was obvious I had talent and I joined the band and shot through the clarinet section to first chair and in a couple months. And my parents were aware of my musical talent at an early age. Uh, and they gave me everything I wanted. Um, I wanted piano lessons. They gave me piano lessons. I wanted to uh, learn how to play uh, uh, organ with foot pedals and, and two keyboards and the whole rigmarole. And, uh, and uh, they gave me organ lessons. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the Beatles kick in and the whole rock and roll scene happens. And every kid in high school across the country wants to be in a band, right? We all know that. So the next thing I want is a bass guitar, which, by the way, is right over there. <laughs> 1965. So now I'm playing bass in a band. And then I, then my, my, uh, uh, then I sort of started moving toward more uh, um, chordal instrumental instruments. And they bought me a Vox Jaguar because I liked the sound of that and Dave Clark Five and bands like that. And they were supportive right up to that point. Then the long hair and, and, uh, the, <laughs> and the loud rock music started kicking in. And yet they still had full faith and credit that I was going to do something constructive, and even though it might not have appeared like that at the time. <laughs> what would be, what would have been the first, because, you know, you, you kind of hit on it before, bands kind of come and go, yeah, little things can break them up. What was the first band that you thought, uh, wow, this is really good, we have a we have something here. What would have been the first band that you were involved in that you could say that about? Mm -hmm. Well, certainly, uh, I think I'd sort of outgrown 
Susun, Fairfield, Solano County. I had a pretty good band in college there uh, uh, called Cottonmouth. But the, some of the guys were growing up and having babies and stuff. And, and I could tell uh, uh, their hearts weren't in it like mine was. Um, through a strange course of events, um, uh, that is uh, college, the draft, uh, you know, Vietnam and all these things. I went back to, um, I, was, I was working stiff for a while, just playing in a band, and I got called up the Vietnam War. Quickly found out all you have to do is go back to school and you get an S1. So I met a certain girl from Southern <laughs> California who was up there, convinced her to go to Sonoma State. Um, she, um, I was successful. We ended up shacking up up there. And, and one of the first nights were there, um, my favorite band in the world, the Sons of Champlin are playing down the street. So um, I said, Linda, we must go see the Sons. You're just gonna love this band. There's, there's nothing like what's going on right now. It's not rock music. These guys are like blue eyed soul and Bill Champlin sounds like uh, Lou Rawls, you know, with the, uh, uh, just trust me, you're gonna love it. So we go to see the Sons and the opening act is this band called Soundhole. Um, we went to a little place called the Inn of the Beginning, which Jack and Kelly and Brad will certainly know about. Um, and uh, uh, the opening act was this band called Soundhole. And they were amazingly talented. Some guys older than me, some guys younger. And they finished their set and I went right up to the drummer and I said, you guys are really good. The trumpet player, eh, not so much. What you need is me and your band. And I'll be darned if Bill Gibson, who became the lifelong drummer for Huey Lewis and the News uh, to this day, he looked at me and he said, ah, cool. You know, let's uh, exchange telephone numbers. That's what you did back in those days, folks. And uh, I had an audition with this band Soundhole the next week, passed the audition, and um, that band became loosely the rival band of Huey Lewis's Clover in Marin County, which included Huey and Sean Hopper. Soundhole included myself, Bill Gibson, and Mario Cipollina. And between those two friendly rivalry bands, uh, that created five out of six members of Huey Lewis and the News. Uh, six years later. <laughs> and it's one of those overnight successes. Yeah. Uh, and again, I love those stories where it's just, you know, you're you're in your new apartment or house and you see that they're playing down the road and it's like, hey, let's go down. And then you're just talking to the drummer and just, you know, just that 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 spark of confidence like hey you guys are great you need me <laughs> uh you know it's just uh, i always like hearing stories like that just one of those magical nights that you don't know is a magical night while sure. it's happening well um, you know i i i suppose like jack blades i'm the shy coy type you know I'm sort of reserved and just i'm a wallflower i stand there in the background just like jack <laughs> <laughs> Sounds just like it. Uh, <laughs> so, so you, you say you ha you had this friendly rivalry with uh, a band called Clover, which you know was uh, 
which included uh, Huey Lewis. Uh, when, um, I guess, you know, eventually you guys, it, it, it took six years, I think you said, until you, you kind of like merged the band or merged the bands. and Six you know, years start, to merge. Yeah. And then, you know, and then another three to, to get a record right. deal and make our first extremely unsuccessful record. So <laughs> I guess my yeah. question would be if, uh, now, why not earlier? Now, I'm not I'm not a you know, a, I'm not fluent on the Huey Lewis and the news history. So maybe this is stuff that's been discussed before, but um, is it, I guess, why not merge sooner? Is it because you guys have such faith in the bands that you're in? Uh, yes. Okay. Sure. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. Now, having said that, I was a big fan of Clover. I thought, uh, Excuse me. I thought um, their lead singer, Alex Call, which Huey was not the lead singer in Clover. Mm -hmm. I thought Alex was a, a, a wonderful songwriter. I thought they were actually writing better stuff than Soundhole, although we had this sort of R&B soul jazz thing going on that attracted the attention of Van Morrison. And we became Van's backing band for a, for a second, you know, mm -hmm. for, for a summer. While Clover, uh, don't I couldn't tell you the story, but they ended up in England making records over there. They, they I think the thinking was they were going to go over to England and come back to America uh, through the back door and be a huge success, uh, a la Jimi Hendrix and and several others. Uh, mm. Well, it didn't happen, but we certainly thought they were, you know. Mm. Uh, changing the world over there in the UK. But meanwhile, uh, a true story here, Huey and I had this, for lack of a better term, uh, a mutual admiration club. We were really attracted to each other, you know, a bromance. Mm -hmm. He'd come to sound hole gigs and we'd hang out and, and I'd go to Clover gigs. And, and uh, we, had, we both had girlfriends going to Sonoma State College. We both owned MGs. Uh, we both smoked pot. I don't know where you want to go with it, but we were absolutely, there was an attraction there. Mm -hmm. you know? I don't know why, like you said, or I mentioned, uh, these things are serendipity and, and we're just, things are just bouncing off each other. Uh, I was unceremoniously released from Soundhole, and my biggest supporter at the time was Huey in Clover. And he said, what in the hell are those guys kicking you and John Foray out of the band for? Come on, jam with Clover anytime you want. So Clover is one of the guys on my list where I would show up and jump the stage with him. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned Alice Call. Is that the same Alice Call that uh, co-wrote uh, the 867-5309? Uh, yeah, sure. All right. I and actually... Couple yeah. from Pat Benatar and yeah, a great guy and a great songwriter. Yeah, I, I met him in uh, Nashville one time randomly, had a uh, beer with him. Um, but that's uh, I think it's also interesting where you say that uh, he Huey wasn't the singer that that uh, that Alex was. So you mentioned uh, 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 briefly that you became Van Morrison's um, backing band. Uh, is that when you when that happens 
is that you have like one of these moments of wow you know this is this is a really a step forward i've made it or is it just another gig how how does one see it from your perspective back then well we all know van is uh, van doesn't wear his personality on his sleeve let's face it so uh we had no idea where it was going all we knew um, or I should say, what I knew is we got hired uh, because we had this R&B soul bent. Van's license plate at the time, he lived here in Marin County in Fairfax. His license plate was when you could first get customized, personalized license plates. And Van's license plate on his Mercedes was said R&B. <laughs> so his road manager had told Van, 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 for reasons I don't know, uh, dumped everything in his life at one point. Uh, that includes a Fairfax Street Choir, uh, uh, or whoever is backing band. I'm getting that mixed up. Uh, whoever his backing band was at the time, he just decided to do something different. And he's doing that to this day. Um, hats off to him for that. And his road manager, a good friend of mine, said, hey, man, you ought to check these guys out. You got to check Soundhole out, you know. They're really good. They're, they're right up your alley. So Van showed up at some podunk gig uh, out at a, a, a golf course. We'd rented a room, something like that. And we got hired. He loved it. And strangely, what he liked most about it was my buddy John Foray's keyboards, that R&B thing he did. And he liked our horn section. Not long after that, that's the two things that got kicked out of Soundhole. So, <laughs> strange ironies, man. When, I mean, did you know that that was going to be a temporary gig, or uh, when it happened? Yeah, I missed that the end of the question. Uh, we had no idea. No, Van is uh, an, an enigma, as we all know. And uh, uh, we didn't know where it was going to go, but it lasted a tour or two. We did lots of shows around the Bay Area. And then he took us out on a short college tour and we just hoped for the best. And we got back home from that tour and uh, we weren't fired. We were just never heard from him again. So. Yeah. Which um, is, it was a great experience. So how did Sly and the Family Stone come about? Ah, sorry, that's the last time I'll refresh myself. Oh, that's all right, brother. <laughs> um, well, <clears throat> let me think about that. Our band Soundhole was making a demo tape. And uh, I think we'd signed this little six-month deal with a, with a, with a uh, industry legend named Roy Siegel. <clears throat> and we were in CBS in San Francisco making this demo with Roy and across the hall Sly and the Family Stone were recording you know Sly showed up one out of 10 sessions so he wasn't there but as I'm strolling through the hall Jerry Martini he's also the shy coy type like me <laughs> Jerry comes up and introduces himself and I said wow man I am such a big fan you know and I said it's you know Cynthia in the room too and he goes, yeah, but, but, you know, we're all working. So, but let's exchange numbers. Said, okay, fine. 
let that go. Sound hole ran its course, whatever that may have been. Um, you know, I think I might have that wrong. We might have been, we might have reformed as a band called Airplay, which is not far off from stereo, is it? Uh, and that was Bill Gibson, Mario Cipollina, uh, myself, and uh, on keyboards, and uh, uh, somebody else who I can't remember right now. In any event, I met Jerry that day. And uh, I don't know, it wasn't long after that, I get a call from him, <clears throat> just a cold call. And he said, hey, I got this band, uh, I've started this band, you know, Sly and the Family Stone's over. And I started this band uh, called Rubicon. And I'd like you to come up and, and uh, play with us. We live right out in Woodacre, which uh, is a stone's throw from where I was living at the time. And I showed up and that was the first time I met Jack, Kelly, Brad, uh, Jimmy Pugh, uh, let me see, and then there's Martini, me, that's, that's about six or seven. Max, was Max Haskett still there? Max Haskett, who I later on I hired for, with Huey in the news, and I was a big fan of um, uh, uh, Cold Blood, Blood because that was a horn band, and I was yeah. a big horn band fan, so it was a dream, it was really cool hanging with these guys i had never met or even heard of jack and, and these guys before but jerry had put together this band and i think they were on the end of their legs if you know what i mean they put out their two records and they were kind of cobbling this thing together a little bit to go out on tour again and see where it would lead you... that's all i know there was a lot of mystery there <laughs> when, at the time. when you joined do you remember who was the drummer? Was it Greg Eckler or Kelly Kagey? Oh, oh, it was Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then uh, you replaced Dennis Marcelino, correct? I think. Yeah. Well, if Max was, if Max you was, you would know better than me. Yeah, if Max was still in the band, that's then that was uh, who you replaced. So, when do you think that took place? Would that have been like early spring of '79? I'm looking at my notes right here in front of me, and I think so. Yeah. I mean, we had so so much going on back then. I'm on the fence as to this whole crazy thing called rock music or whatever, pop music. I don't know where I'm going with it, but I know something better happen or I'm going to go back to college and become a teacher. Mm -hmm. I had, um, at that particular moment, um, I should back up a little bit. Huey and Clover kind of fell apart. Huey was going to get myself and Bill Gibson over to England and reform Clover in, I don't know, in some, in some form or another. And I said, great, send me a plane ticket. Um, a week later, he calls me and says, forget it. I'm coming home. Let's start a band in, in the Bay Area. I said, fantastic. So I start commute. I quit Sly packed my crap up in a car and drove back home and I'm back in Marin. But meanwhile, I, I don't really know wh where it's all going. I mean, I might just pack it all in and, and play clubs and have fun with it for the rest of my life, like a lot of other teachers. But as it happens, uh, I get back home and I've, there's like 10 things happening at once. Uh, I reef, I reconnect with Mario and Bill. We start this little band called Airplay 
were making demos, trying to get a record deal there. I had a couple auditions, I think, with Commander Cody and a possible with this band called Player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got the seat with Rubicon, of which Huey was rather um, envious. You know, he thought. Um, Did you know that he was formulating something, you know, <laughs> cooking something up? But but I was his guy. I mean, he and I mm-hmm. were running fast, man. We were going into the city and playing with Nick Gravenitis and jumping stages with all these different bands and and uh, and. Um, it was a is exciting yet precipitous time in my musical life. So, you had mentioned it previous, and if anybody knows the history of Rubicon, um, so they were pretty much on their last legs when you joined. Um, did you know that when you joined? No, All not right. a clue. Um, no. And let I want to go through. You, you knew Jerry Martini previously. Um, what was your did you know max haskett previously no i was meeting those two guys mm-hmm. forget the rest those two guys were stars to me you know mm-hmm. i i mean i i i you know hitched up with this band rubicon and they had between max and kelly they had two fantastic singers crack and horn section and um and an outrageous rhythm section, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, really amazing. Uh, just the whole th- thing came up a level. They're all uh, amazing players. What was your first thoughts on uh, Jimmy Pugh? Well, they had a bit of a stage shtick. I don't know if you ever saw any old videos of Rubicon back there, but two that stick in my head uh, are uh, one of which I got to be a part of, and Martini does this little tambourine thing. You know? Okay, I've, I've seen that. You know, you hit your ass, yeah. you hit your shoe, and then you, and then you're to the audience, and then we face each other and did this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I just took right to that stuff, man, like a like a duck in water. You know, I loved it. So we had that bit, but I maybe the one folks don't really know about is Jimmy Pugh doing the worm on stage. is that that public knowledge well there there is the really the only live footage there you know there's some like you know merv griffith shows and stuff where it's them doing promotion mainly but they there is some live footage from cow jam 2 from early 78 and they don't show it's not really shown well but yes you see jimmy Pugh coming out and he's jumping the next thing you know you don't see him and you can kind of see some stuff at the bottom of the stage i wasn't quite sure what he was doing so here you go uh this is the stuff we need to know so he's doing the worm he's doing the worm yeah yeah. and we kind of back off and watch and and um you know i i i'm in contact with uh jimmy a little bit here Mm -hmm. and there so I'll make sure and ask him if he can still do the worm. <laughs> um, I, I got to meet Jimmy probably 10, 12 years ago when he's playing with Robert Cray. Uh, oh, he was uh, he was great. Answered all my questions and all that. Uh, good stuff. What was your first in, uh, impression of Kelly Kagey? Jimmy Pugh's another shy, coy type like me, right? <laughs> he... Uh, he <laughs> well, you know what? I, that I don't know him enough to probably... Uh, uh confirm or deny but uh 
Yeah. Um, I will take your word on that one. Yeah, um, he's on 11 like a lot of us. And, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, give me your first thoughts on Kelly Kagi when you joined Rubicon. Yeah, well, um, first of all, he's one of the nicest guys in the world, like Max Haskett. That is uh, uh, that is true. I will uh, agree with the, that 100%. Both of those guys, uh, and they both happen to be great singers, mm -hmm. and they like the sound of my voice, and they, they wore their hearts on their sleeve. Uh, Kelly, uh, um, I don't know, there were no secrets there. Um, mm -hmm. I don't really remember a lot about those times, or do I? <laughs> uh, but... Uh, we became fast friends. I, I don't know how it all happened, uh, but uh, he never had a bad word to say about me and vice versa. And uh, when Huey and the News would swing around uh, Nashville years ago, uh, I happily brought Kelly backstage to meet the guys and hang out. Yeah, Kelly is, uh, Kelly is uh, one of the best. That is... Uh for sure and your thoughts on your initial impressions of jack and brad well uh you know brad's a guitar player what can i say <laughs> brad is uh about back then brad was about brad and the guitar and i appreciate that you know every guitar player thinks they're a lead singer every lead singer thinks they can play guitar but it doesn't always work out that way the, the best Scenario is the combination be between the two, as far as I can tell, uh, a la Mick Jagger and, you know, Rolling Stones and Aerosmith and this and that. They're, uh, they're two star figures that, and both want to kind of, both think they're the stars and there's some percentage that's correct there, depending on the group. But, uh, um, uh, and that was Brad. Uh, I mean, I like those guys. Uh, Jack, um, it, like I said, we're both pretty hyper guys. And, uh, you know, you think I'm hyper now, should have seen us back then, right? <laughs> uh, I, like I said, I was moonlighting back then. I had so many things going at once. I mean, between trying to write songs and airplay and Huey and I doing the Monday Night Live band, which eventually became Huey and the News. Um, Jack was a little jealous. Uh, that's the wrong word. Jack was curious. And uh, one of his favorite things to do was, uh, now it's all coming back. I remember <laughs> it. We'd finish rehearsal and I'd say, okay, guys, well, you know, nice to see you. Um, uh, I'd take off and Jack would go, so where are you going now, Johnny? You're going to go see Huey? <laughs> I go, well, yeah, actually, we're going to meet up and and uh, go in the city and play with uh, Nick and John Cipollina. He goes, oh, you're going to go play with Huey? <laughs> he just loved to say the name. And, you know, and he just he really used to dig in on me around that stuff. You know, I said, yeah, c'est la vie, whatever. So uh, um, that, was, uh, that was the Rubicon. Didn't last long. I wasn't in Rubicon long. What uh you we've we touched on him earlier i want to is there anything else you could you could talk about with uh max haskett uh unfortunately passed away way too soon um and so whenever i talk to anyone from that 
uh, time frame that spent time with him, I always try to, you know, share a story or just tell me a little bit about Max. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Max and Kelly had a lot of similarities, and that is both were had had and have amazing voices. Um, and they were both way too humble for such great singers. <laughs> I'd met a lot of singers by then, you know, and uh, including, uh, you know, Mickey Thomas and uh, working with Elvin and, uh, and I don't know, a lot of singers in, the, in, in, in Marin County. And uh, they were just both down to earth guys. You know, if you get on the subject of, of uh, food, Max would just ramble about what he likes and what he doesn't like, and he'd tell you all about his his uh, his operations and his medical procedures. And um, we had a couple interesting moments. Uh, he was a juggler. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not. Uh -huh. Well, we were on the road, and he's he's. I think I roomed with him actually in Rubicon, if I remember right. Let's face it. Uh, we they weren't doing well enough for you to have your own room i think max was my guy and uh he would juggle and he had these little bean bags and he he um <laughs> what was his line he says here's the thing about juggling john i was john back then um here's the thing about juggling juggle over a bed because you're going to drop them a lot and you don't have to want to bend over the floor every time so you juggle over a bed in your hotel room all right, Max, great. <laughs> Whatever. And he just had this wonderful laugh. He'd laugh at anything like a little kid, you know. And the other one was he'd bring out his fencing gear. He had two masks and two, what do you call them, epes, I think it is in French, two swords mm -hmm. with a little tip, you know, on the end of it. And I said, wow, that's a weird hobby. He goes, yeah, I want to try it. So I said, sure. <laughs> We're standing there going, you know, and he's, he's got this thing going at me, you know, I'm trying to fight it off. And he goes, pow, and he hits me in the chest. I said, Max, hell with this crap. This is no fun, man. I'd rather get in a wrestling match with you than, than get poked by a sword. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, what, and I, I won't, uh, I will always think about that when I think about juggling too. I mean, that's, uh very yeah um so when you're with rubicon were you just playing the bay area or did you guys do any type of tour you know outside of california or anything like that or yeah we went outside of california okay. i gotta give you one more max though all right go yeah get and it. that is i hired him for uh uh with for huey and the news we put together a little horn section with some other guy and max and myself and we're playing Calaveras County uh, uh, Mountain Air Festival. And we'd worked our way up here in the news. First, we were an opener, then we were second bill. We're playing with the Cars and the Doobie Brothers and all these bands. Finally, we're the headliner. And Max shows up, he drives up and he goes, hey, how you doing? Great, Max, good. Hey, we're on and, you know, an hour and 15, glad you made it. He goes, he gets this pale look. He goes, I forgot my horn. I said, you're kidding. He goes, I'll be right back. I said, where are you going? He goes, Hayward. I said, you got to be kidding. I said, just find a, a horn here and borrow one. He goes, no, 
got back, he showed up five minutes before the show and, you know. So, <laughs> sorry about the uh, interjection there. Well, uh, you know, I, guess, I think that probably speaks to Max's character because even Night Ranger brought him in to sing backup vocals, you know, on an album they had in 1987. So it's, he didn't bring it, me in. Well, oh. uh, I, I, you, uh, I guess you didn't give them uh, good juggling tips or something. Well, that's not a delivered on the stereo demo, but <laughs> well, let's uh, <laughs> let's work our way there. So, um, do you remember the demise of Rubicon? How you found out, or how that played out? Can you give me any details on that? Hmm. I. Or did, Jerry, or did Jerry Martini just never call you again like man? No, hell no, not like man. Jerry's too to get uh, too good a heart for that. I think he he probably gave me the call and said, um, uh, we're not doing this anymore. But but more to that point, I get a call from Jack and he said, it may have, he may have delivered the news. I don't know. He said, look, uh, you know, Rubicon's over but we're going to start this new band and we'd like you to come and uh, come in and sing on a song or two. <clears throat> and I'm, Hey man, it was, uh, and he wrote up at that time. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's face it. Um, I, I was, I was barely had two nickels to scrape together. And I said, absolutely. So um, I showed up at a little uh, recording studio uh, in this place called Joseph court, which, Huey and the News ended up using for the for 30 years, but that's a, that's another story. And I cut a couple tunes with uh, Jack Kelly and Brad, and I'm not sure there were keyboards on the on the uh, on the track or not, but uh, it may be the only session I ever did to this day I don't have. So Jack. <laughs> You're probably the keeper of all things like me. If you got it, I'd love to hear me singing Penny or uh, <laughs> I don't know. There was one other. I sang two tunes. Um, well, let's let's uh, let's talk about maybe who was were they called stereo then? I don't think so. OK. And from what I can gather, stereo was, you know, included Jack Brad Kelly. And also, I've heard Jerry Martini and Jimmy Pugh. Were they involved with any of those recordings that you did? I don't think so. I don't think there were any horns uh, when I stepped in. You know what, it, it, Josh, what it really was, you know, looking back and thinking back, uh, 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 you can put these things, to, these pieces together. It was really an audition. And they were auditioning me, let's face it. How does Johnny sound singing lead vocal, which I didn't do in Rubicon. And the fact of the matter is I was auditioning them as well. It wasn't mm. like I was going to take anything that went along. I was, we were both trying to see what the fit was. Mm. How did it fit? How did it feel? And um, I flunked their audition apparently. And truth be known, they flunked mine. <laughs> I didn't really fancy uh the tunes i sung on and we went our separate ways that was sort of it do you remember how many songs you recorded with them i don't know how many tunes they had but i i sang on two songs penny and something else 
And good Kenny, question for the crew. Well, uh, here's the thing is we don't know like all everything you're telling us right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have never heard. Uh, I love this. Yes. So like, well, and Penny, that is great because it gives us a time frame of uh, how long Penny was around. Mm-hmm. And that's because that song did end up on their first album. Right. You know, I was actually going to do my homework and listen to album number one. And this is no slight on the guys or Night Ranger, but it's simply it was not my kind of music. Mm-hmm. I'm an R&B soul americana kind of guy and and they wanted to be a a, um, a rock band mm-hmm. nothing wrong with either right yep so um i was going to go back and listen to the first record and see if i could dig out what that other tune was i sang uh, but i didn't get to it I, I will someday here quick well the the only song that i've been able to put together that came from the stereo days which wasn't penny was a song called young girl in love mm, that wasn't it all right that was that's the only one off the the first record that i have been able to trace back a little bit penny i didn't know which again you're telling me this information first and it's nice to hear that you know there's a vocal out there with you um with you (laughs) on it uh so you know the stereo thing is there anything else i say let's say about stereo before we kind of move on to you and Huey getting back uh, together and getting that going. Is there anything else you could think about with stereo, the Rubicon era that, you know, that us Night hmm. Ranger nerds would really want to know? Yeah, there's a couple other stories. I think uh, you mentioned a tour and we, uh, uh, Rubicon, Rubicon mm-hmm. last tour, uh, I think maybe. Uh, I mean, these anecdotal stories are the best, right? Um, I think we wrapped it up. God, I can't. I, I could. I, I kept a, a diary, a journal, so if I dug in, I could tell you. But <laughs> what I distinctly remember is we played Palm Springs, which I think was Jack's hometown. I think mm-hmm. so. Yep. And it was a dreadful day. Uh, one of these out daytime outdoor shows with wind, and it was really hot. All that stuff goes against me because I came from Susun City, the Windy City. And we were on a bill with Cindy Bullens and somebody else. I don't know. I think it escapes me. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. We did one other show. We did a club. And at the end of the night, Jack wants to get back to San Francisco because Molly, his wife, had gone into labor. And uh, like I said, being the gentle, kind, coy guy I am, I said, man, I'll steal a pillow out of the hotel room, put it under my ass, and I'll drive you all the way to the hospital in San Francisco. And he goes, you're kidding. I said, nope. So as God is my witness and Jim Pugh is my co-pilot, we finished the show and I drove the van all the way back, might've been UCSF or something. And I got Jack to the hospital about 8 a.m., drove all night from Palm Springs. And I got Jack to the hospital, possibly before the kids were born or certainly right after. Mm-hmm. Wow. You're welcome, Blades. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that car ride would have been you, uh, Jack and Jimmy Pugh, right? 
Oh, shoot. There was somebody else in there. I think Brad might have been in the van. All but, right. Uh, that was. Um, no, those are, those are, uh, I enjoy those stories. Like, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I enjoy just, like, I don't know if, uh, maybe uh, probably a little bit more south than where you guys were performing, but we, uh, one of our first guests we had on the podcast was David Lauser, who played drums for Sammy Hagar. Hmm. And, but him and Sammy Hagar were, buddies in high school and before sammy hagar was sammy hagar and all that stuff right sure. and he was telling you know just talking about the story of you know sammy's first you know first kid and it was so long ago like the, the dad wasn't even allowed to be in the the room oh, you know so they went to like a little fish you know fish and chip store and ate fish and chips out in the yard i just love those stories you know hey i'll grab a pillow and we'll drive all night and um, And yeah you could smoke cigarettes in a diner yeah Um, (laughs) so so i have one more stereo yeah 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 it pretty much ties uh, ties it up and that is I had definitely flunked the audition and they had flunked mine, which is fine. Uh, you know, you go your separate ways and they went on to become stereo and, and then uh, uh, Night Ranger with great success. And uh, we went on to become uh, Huey Lewis and American Express, Huey Lewis and the Meteors, Huey Lewis and this and that. We couldn't decide on a name. And finally, Huey Lewis and the News. But before that all happened, Huey and I had this habit. of just, It was all about playing. We were a horn section. I had my horn, he had his harmonica. We just go everywhere together and, and you know, who knows, burn a big one, have a beer and jump the stage, right? And uh, so this particular night, we drive in and uh, I, at the invitation of somebody, it was probably Kelly, uh, we're gonna swing by the Palms on Polk Street and see, um, and see this new band stereo the new band they put together and uh, so we drive there find a parking place walk in the place go backstage and say hello to all the guys and we go out and Huey and I ordered a drink and and you know bam stereo's on stage and Huey looks over at me he goes you know if this would have happened for you you'd have to be wearing spandex for the next 20 years <laughs> Well, uh, for better or for worse, worse. we were rhythm and blues guys, man, and uh, and and uh, and you know those guys and Huey and the News were cut from different cloths. Although uh, we did a few shows together here and there, European festivals and the like. So, I mean, with the you and Huey get back together, you kind of you know merge bands. Uh, obviously you, you go through this you know period of um, paying the dues and building yourself up do you remember um, so like with kiss paul stanley talks about you know they're so involved in their you know getting this going and he just remembers it was dayton of ohio of all places looking out behind the curtain and it's packed and he's like, wait a second, it was packed last night and it was packed night before. And then he realizes, you know, the roller coaster's starting. <laughs> and that was his first time realizing. Was there a moment when you realized, wow, 
this is really happening. Is there that a moment like that in your Huey Lewis in the news career? Sort of. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's nice. Paul can, can, can tie a, a bow on it like that. Um, <clears throat> my, my experience was a little different in that our second record, we had finally had a hit with Do You Believe in Love? Our first record was an amazing failure. Uh, but we did tour a little bit and got to play with a cup uh, open for a lot of really cool bands. And meanwhile, uh, picture this comes out and we did the Southwest swing, uh, primarily Texas, let's face it. A guy can tour Texas for a year, you know, never play <laughs> the same town. Uh, and uh, we, re we realized, or I certainly realized we were coming in as a band they'd heard of but when they were leaving the room they had a different look on their face it's like we were we were uh, taking names and numbers man we were kicking some ass you know and uh, that was a highly successful tour and and the buzz started getting out there i remember playing with uh, we opened for 38 special and just killed them i'm sorry to say and one of the guys at 38 says man this ain't going so well for us. Tell you what, next time we play with y'all, next time we go on a tour with y'all, we're going to be opening for y'all, huh? And and that turned out to be true. But uh, you know, it was it was really cute. We became really good friends with those guys over the years. But uh, my aha moment, I suppose, was uh, behind picture this. We're out there about eighty three or so, and strangely enough, we're in Ohio, and it's like all of a sudden the you know the venues aren't big enough which is a a nice place to be in your career the promoter booked a place and 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 uh, he didn't have a room big enough to sell tickets selling as many tickets as he could have but we're rolling out of cleveland we just killed cleveland it was like we left the dressing room jumped on the bus and we were sort of like rock stars for the first time. People screaming and wanting autographs and, you know, take me with you and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and we get on the bus and uh, did whatever bands do when they get on the bus and roll overnight. And here he comes up with this idea. That was that was my aha moment. That, mm -hmm. that little leg there, I couldn't tell you the exact year, but uh, I knew uh, we were on our way somewhere. I had no idea it was going to last, certainly not 40 years, but uh, I knew we had made it. And, uh, and um, was there it, a sense of relief? Yeah, sort of. I knew it was going to go somewhere and it was going to get bigger than it was. Uh, I had no idea it was going to get as big as it did. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, maybe the, the start of that, uh, getting bigger, shall I say, as we jump on that bus in Cleveland, we're going to roll overnight. And Huey gets, he goes, man. And obviously some cocktails and illegal substances were involved. And he says, um, I got a great idea for a tune, man. Ready for this? And he used to do this thing where he'd pat on his legs. Matter of fact, he'd play on one and three. And we used to try, it's two and four, man. So he says, I got a great idea for a tune. The heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland. And I went, uh, that's uh, work on it. 
you know, play around with it. Uh, you know, let's get back together. So I think it was him and Mario. They played on one chord and then everyone got tired and went to bed and, and it went away. But I kind of kept it back here. And when we got back home, started working on the idea. In the meantime, he'd worked on the lyric a little bit and called it the rock, harder rock and roll is still, harder rock and roll is still beaten. Mm -hmm. But Cleveland gets in there at the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how can MTV, how did that change everything? Because you guys, I mean, it is, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, looking back, I mean, like now, let's say I, if you have a song that you know, you don't you don't visualize it with a video but a lot of those songs from the mtv era if i hear the song i automatically can go to a video with it as well sure. um, how did mtv change everything well you must remember that point where it changed from you know have you heard that song to have you seen that song there was that point, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it was all about video. Um, uh, we never took that stuff seriously, as you can tell by our videos, nor did we take them literally. You know, if the lyrics moon in June, we didn't stand there on a summer night and look up at the moon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, we always, we always sort of tried to weave a, a storyline that had nothing to do with the song and took the piss out of ourselves, you know, tried to make it funny and fun because isn't that what TV is, you know, the gong show. It's either fun or serious, but it's, it's TV. And uh, the timing couldn't have been better. I mean, we've got song, we were starting to write pop songs that are really hitting the mark with the public. Uh, we got a ridiculously good looking guy as a front man and uh and we uh and we had this idea of how we should make videos for mtv which didn't really fly too well with the, some powers that be they thought we were kind of snubbing our noses at the thing but i think most of them hold up in the in the long run you know what can you tell me about since like i said i have a personal connection to this song if this is it just where did that song because you're the you know a co-writer on it where did that song talk about the birth of that song i cannot tell a lie i wanted uh as you know where we were in our career we're working on sports and uh, there's no easy way to say it we approached every tune on that record as a single we didn't mess around there was no filler and um if this is it was no exception but uh i i made a demo that was okay you know all the musicians out there will know it it was bulletproof there was no way it was not going to get on the record it didn't have a title i'd ooh, rock you know in the in the in the chorus and huey just latched right onto it he went well well there's there's one. All we got to do is, is make it better. Um, but the truth be told is we're at that place where we're starting to see the bigger picture of what it is to be a popular band. And I wanted a summer song like Hot Fun in the Summertime. I wanted to 
write a song that that um, people would remember as their love song in that particular summer of 1980, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we nailed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it is. I mean, you know, it has that summer feel to it. The video, obviously, at, on the beach. Um, and uh, like I said, just uh, six-year-old me, I begged my mom to let me stay up and watch it. Uh, uh, so, uh, so well, you somewhere had... right up, somewhere right up there in back of me, I have the original demo. There I, you. I'm the keeper of all things Huey and the Rivers, <laughs> audio at least. So you guys are so, I mean, so big. I mean, it, that, that train just keeps going and goes faster. You got, uh, you know, the, the sports album, which like you said, you guys basically looked at it as every song is going to be a single. And, you know, half of the album was, I think, released as singles. Yeah, yeah five hit. or six, I think. Um, yeah. You have uh, The Power of Love with Back to the Future for is there is there is there stress that that comes with how do we keep this up when you're that big or is it just okay if it if we can't maintain it that's fine we you know i mean what where did you fall in that was it stressful was you you know was it a relaxing thing to have the fame um you know talk about the height when you're at the absolute top and you have to work to stay there yeah i don't i don't think we ever looked at it that way mm-hmm. um i uh, huey had a way of uh compartmentalizing us and that and that i don't mean that as a bad thing in other words time to tour time to go home to family relax time to work on songs time to record and make a record time to tour and that's okay. That's a great way to do it. I, on the other hand, had this this different approach where, when the muse strikes, get out your little cassette player and and sing into that thing and make a demo. You know, you just never know what's going to fly. So, um, between the principles, um, certainly, uh, I would say, Chris and myself, uh, Bill Gibson to a lesser degree. A couple, uh, a couple of the other guys had sort of fallen off as songwriters. Um, we had a, a, a friendly competition going because uh, we're starting to learn a little about the music business and that writing songs and songwriters part of it, the publishing part of it means money. And <laughs> so why not? Uh, so Chris and I especially were writing furiously to get tracks on on the subsequent records after sports i think the wheels were coming off a little bit for us because of all the aforementioned um we were starting families we were all getting married um and unlike a lot of bands uh we had hobbies be it fly fishing, golf, Huey likes to hunt. Uh, uh, I'm an outdoorsman, I like to stay in shape. And so that can be the killer with bands, if you know what I mean. You become a, you sit in here, become a studio sausage and, and do all that same crap you do on the road, you're gonna kill yourself. And boy, many of them have, right? So um, 
we uh, we had that friendly songwriting competition going, and uh, and the recreation and family probably is why I'm here today talking to you. Well, I'm in glad, a strange way, <laughs> I'm glad uh, that you are. Uh, when the train finally slows down. Is there a sense of relief, like now I, we can do whatever we want, we're not tied into anything, or is there a sense of, you know, wow, what am I going to do now, the mystery? Um, you know, when that slows down, where's your mind at with that? Or is it just I'll go to the next thing or? Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we made small world which uh, I suppose uh, a lot of fans and critics, uh, it, uh, it was a bit of a question mark for them. You know, what are we doing? We got Stan Getz blowing a solo on a semi-jazz tune, you know, part one and part small world, the, the title cut. And yet, you know, a lot of Chris's writing is, is sort of in the jazz um, realm while my stuff, uh, my contributions were sort of headed toward the Americana uh, uh, thing. And you can hear both of those elements on the record, but they're not quite blending as well as they did mm -hmm. back in the mid eighties. This was the late eighties. So you can hear that uh, uh, incongruent thing going on in that particular record. Um, after that, we took a little bit of a break. I, I don't know the chronology of mm -hmm. doing the news or what charted when or all that. Google, how many have sold? How many records have sold? I never paid attention to that stuff. Some people can dictate that, you know, off the top of their head. I'm not that guy. But uh, we took a little bit of a hiatus there in the early '90s, <clears throat> and Huey took a a little side road working on some solo stuff and and this, that, and the other thing. I didn't, um, it's it, It's all I ever wanted to do was record and make records. Uh, uh, so I didn't skip a beat. And I actually started working on my first solo project. When Huey took his break, I mm -hmm. jumped on my uh, my stuff. Uh, with, uh, so when when you're, and you hadn't worked on any like solo stuff previous, or at least I guess officially. Uh, no, really. Uh, when so when when you're working, would it, would this be about the late '90s somewhere in there? No, this would actually be early to mid '90s. Okay, so you start working on your uh, first mm -hmm. first record. Uh, why doesn't that get finished then? Uh, well. Uh, you know, any any songwriter will tell you, you you know, write 20, you wrote one good one. So I had this bunch of songs written, at least I thought they were good, but that maybe Huey couldn't wear them for some reason, or that it didn't fit the band. So I started going through all my old stuff and, and there was a lot of stuff I liked and actually I could sing. So to create the first record, um, it's pretty easy picking the songs and writing a few new ones in between the decision to make my own first record and when it actually got out. But somewhere between half, a quarter and a halfway through the project, Huey and the News decided to um, get back on our feet again, start making records and touring. 
And that just put it on the back burner for a little bit. And every moment I had to myself, I'd pick away at my solo project, you know. <laughs> and you eventually released that in 2002, which uh, Lucky Devil, that's the album that eventually you put together and um, released. Uh, with during like that time, 2002, the late 90s, um, bands like Huey Lewis and the News and Night Ranger, did you guys ever see the shift? where and like i've seen i see it with i've seen it just as a fan where in the late 90s or even in the 90s just all mm -hmm. 90s early 2000s they went, went from just classic okay it's a classic rock band you know we're we're bringing them in to play this festival or state fair to somewhere in the late 2000s 2000 you know somewhere in there it changed and it became um, almost like almost you. I used the used the word earlier, Americana. Like it, it, it changed. It wasn't like these are we're bringing in this classic rock deck. We are bringing in someone, this band that is more than that. They are almost like a le a legacy. Did yeah, you guys a legend somewhere? Yeah. Either. And, you know, to where now it's just not, um, you just don't see the people from who were, you know, from that time period, you see older people, younger people, people yeah. that are discovering that, did you, did you guys ever see that, like, from your perspective of, wow, this is changing, we're seeing different demographics in the crowds and Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's face it, probably that early after small world, let's face it, uh, we could feel the momentum shift where, you know, you got other bands nipping at your heels and musical styles are changing, right? And uh, like I said, Huey experimented with some other stuff and I was working on my career and other guys in the band were doing whatever they do. That's all fine. I think when we got it back together, there was sort of a collective consciousness that, you know, if we have another hit, great, but good Lord, you know, we got 10. We don't need another one. So we might as well start doing what we want. And, and if we get lucky, great. If we don't, we have all those fans from a decade and a half who are gonna come and see Huey in the News. And while they're, while they're there to see us, we'll throw in a few, of our uh, of our latest stuff and let them know how we've changed a little bit and to that end even a lot of our hits we kind of switched up and gave an, an r&b feel i mean there's a point where power love that uh, finally had a three-piece horn section and two two uh, women singing backing vocals on the tune and our crowd loved it they got it. They saw us grow into something else. And they came to see that band rather than just hear the hits. And I'm extremely proud of us for having pulled that off. You know, yeah. we, we, our crowd grew with us in that respect. And I mean, just me, just before this interview, just kind of looking at the records and the albums, I'm just like, it's just hit after hit after i'm like all right yeah i forgot that song and it's like even songs that 
like weren't singles you know it's like well hell that was a good song uh yeah. and uh, so it's just you know one of those things where it's just like wow you know i, I think it, it flies by you know probably when it's happening but you go back and um you know there was a big strong period i mean really uh you know even you know i think when you people think Huey Lewis news you think sports right off the top but like four four was a big record um or not a lot of folks know this but but uh you know uh, power love and back in time were written for the movie and they had an exclusive on those tunes so they showed up on the back to the future soundtrack uh, they were not on uh, an american release except that release Meanwhile, we'd cut this deal where um, we could release, we could put Power of Love on four for the rest of the world internationally. And uh, worldwide, four was a bigger record than sports. Huh. Weird, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and I was, like I said, I was looking at the records and, like, to me at least, it's always sports is like what I think of first. And, I was like, well, hell, I think I like four even more, just more, you know, looking at it. So mm -hmm. I want to talk about two things. I want to, you know, finish this up with, uh, I want to talk a little bit. Wind about, it up, brother. Yeah, where Huey and you guys are now. And I want to talk about your uh, new record. So, you know, Huey had the, the hearing issues, kind of you guys have stopped the touring. Is there anything, any projects, anything you guys are working on, or is that still just uh something you guys have uh just kind of halted for now well uh, uh good question um we broke camp about oh god almost a year now if only this has gone on long enough it's a massive overhead at our studio rehearsal compound and decided to pack it in and all the boys took their toys home uh, for the first time in 40 years, which was uh, heart-wrenching. So as I live and breathe here at my house, I have um, a digital transfer system in my garage. And I'm like I mentioned, I'm kind of the keeper of all things Huey in the news as far as audio. And, uh, and I'm in the process of transferring all of our audio over to the digital domain. And I think we've got a lot of... Um, we got a lot of stuff. We're gonna we're gonna turn a lot of heads, a lot of live performances to release. Uh, Huey's got a funny idea for a lot of tunes that we cut that uh, never really got on a record. I am not at liberty to tell you what the title might be, um, but you know there's there's stuff there, and and I'm slowly picking away at it. Uh, probably. Oh something will happen there on the line. Oh, hopefully it does. I mean, yeah. uh, oh, it's there. You know, I don't know. And, you know, cause I know how I am with, you know, that kind of stuff. There's, it's weird. Cause talking to musicians, some of them don't like the demo stuff being released and then others do. And I'm always like, sure. you know, it's like, I, I, I can respect a musician's, you know, stance of, well, if it was a demo, it was never good enough to be on a record or I don't want, people hearing this version that's not as good but Wart, yeah warts and all yeah yes. but you know there are the fans out there that just want to hear i think with the demo it's good to hear it's 
when you when you hear a studio track it's like seeing a kid when they're 18 you, you, yeah. you know when you see the demos you're getting a glimpse of them when they were 10 or five you know you get to see the song actually grow uh yeah. to where it's uh, at so hopefully you guys do find some uh, good stuff there and put well some, that uh, was not it was not trendy you know you only released your best mm-hmm. along his time and and it, that changed uh and most bands uh want to show show their soft white underbelly you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it's one reason why i included a lot of that anecdotal stuff before and after uh cuts on uh, i hear other voices i wanted to give people a glimpse and the feeling that they were sort of sitting there in the booth with me as we cut these things mm-hmm. well let's talk about uh i hear other voices so that's the a record uh you just released it's kind of a uh you you had i hear voices in 2012 um and so explain the relationship between i hear voices and i hear other voices so two separate solo records sure yeah, well, I think I've homogenized the story down a little bit. And that is, uh, I had another break and I'm cutting I Hear Voices. And ostensibly, the instrumentalists, the band was just sort of a place marker. They were supposed to be this subliminal sound in back of all these backing vocals and my lead vocal, of course, uh, like the old 50s records, you know, a lot of slap, a lot of a lot of deep echo and stuff. But as I started mixing it, it the, I thought, oh, the band's pretty good, you know, I'll get it up there and keep it a little more modern because people won't get that old approach, if you know what I mean. So I release a thing and that all important reflective time, Huey and the News goes back to work. I jump on uh, one of our projects and I'm taking a bigger role in production, uh, co-producing the band's record at this point. And I took a little break and I listened to I Hear Voices and I thought, eh, that's not what I wanted. It's not, uh, the band shouldn't be there. So I immediately went to work on a more acapella rendition of that record. And I got about a third of the way through it and another Huey in the News project jumps <laughs> up. I think, I don't know, what is Soulsville or like that. And like, how can I turn that down? You know, it's, it's, uh, I get to wear many hats and arrange and, and, co- and coach and, and produce. So I put it on the back burner, uh, just like Lucky Devil. I hear other voices was really the record I wanted to make out of those tracks. So I, I don't call it a re-release. I, I really like to call it uh, the, in, the reinvention, what the record always should have been. And I think I nailed it. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. Not, it's got that, I don't know. To me, when I was listening to it, it's like a, you know, early 60s feel mm-hmm. to it. And um, I, a little bit of like Jersey Boys sometimes in there, you know, with the, where they're singing acapella. Uh, those tunes are, to me, or a lot of those songs, I should say, are to me what If This Is It was to you. 1958 i'm six years old and i'm jumping on the piano bench singing let me in you know that was me at six years old and same as you with if this is it and so there you go thank you for taking two years later (laughs) thank you for taking me through the uh the journey with uh 
you know, obviously the Rubicon and the stereo and everything with uh, Huey Lewis in the news. I got two more random questions for you. Um, sure. I usually will just ask these, uh, usually about anybody I talk to. My first random question is July 20th, 1969, man lands on the moon. Where were you? Oh, wow. Summer of 69, right? Yeah. Um, for some reason, I look back at my life and, and they, they sort of, there's always big changes in some seven year chunk. And um, some of the things I can't actually tell you about in 69, but <laughs> some I can. And uh, uh, I broke up with a, a girlfriend. Um, my band broke up. I flunked high school. And I got my first real job in my life. So those were all, those are some pretty life-changing moments. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm 17, I just turned 17 years old. Uh, that's a lot of crap going on for 17 years old. And um, I didn't watch much TV. I was too busy out there in the world, if you know what I mean. And I'm trying to get another band going, which I did successfully. So it all shook out. Six months later, I had a new girlfriend, a new band. I'm back in school and, uh, you know, everything's beautiful. <laughs> that, was, that was a pivotal moment for me. <laughs> and my other question would be, 100 years from now, your great, 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 great grandkid is doing some family history. And, hey, I'm related to Johnny cola he was a musician back 100 years ago what's the one song you hope they would find that you played on contributed to wrote what's the one song you hope they find that <laughs> well i don't know wow that's those are big those are big uh, uh those are uh pitches right down the middle let me see uh really shoot Huey and the News. I think, uh, I don't know if there's a one song, but it would certainly be my contribution of that rock and roll Americana soul ilk that I brought to the table with Huey and the News, as did Huey. Mm -hmm. We were big fans of that stuff, and Bill Gibson and Sean Hopper. The four of us uh, liked that melting pot, man. I love that stuff down in the South. But beyond that, what they're really going to remember, let's face it, is we are the world. Wow, there's my great, great, great grandfather up there with Ray mm -hmm. Charles and Billy Joel and, and uh, <laughs> Tina Turner, you know, let's, let's face it. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, there's a good point. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Well, Johnny, thank you for uh, joining us. And thank you, us hardcore Night Ranger fans. You have given us something to talk about where it's going to be great. I'm going to have next time I run into Jack, I'm like, Jack, I need these stereo demos. Find them for me. Maybe I'll send them into the mail and have you digitize them. Wonderful. And make sure uh, Jack, um, Kelly, Brad, this goes out to you guys. I'm up for another audition, man. <laughs> well, uh, I will pass that information along. You know, what will happen is you'll probably uh, audition and you'll, and you'll, uh, they won't pass this time. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> but well, uh, it wasn't meant to be back then, but who knows? Eh? Yeah. Well, 
Josh, nice interview. Oh, yeah. Was, you did that uh, one kind of by yourself. You didn't need my help, clearly. Well, it was. Or I wasn't uh, really available, I should say. <laughs> Not that you didn't need it. I wasn't available and Lee, uh, Brent wasn't available. The available time slot for Johnny kind of came up quickly and uh, I did what needed to be done. Um, so uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed that. Um, like I said, I don't, I'm not the historian when it comes to Huey Lewis and the News. So if uh i got something wrong uh hopefully you find it in your heart to uh forgive me um Be gentle when they correct you <laughs> but uh but yeah that's the stuff i like uh i mean not only the rubicon and stereo deep information but just how you know the, the i don't want to say struggle but um that 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 you know that willpower to keep fighting and you know bands break up and you think you've got it made and then that band breaks up to keep fighting to finally get um where you're um where you've always wanted to be which is you know at top uh so it's i i like to hear those those journeys um and you know johnny's got a a a great story and it was kind of you know and, and you kind of you you i don't know if you really have like the 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 bookends but you know when he talked about that studio that they've um had for 40 years and they finally just went in and got everything out yeah. you know that was a pretty you know a, a pretty big thing i could see you know it's just like it some things are hard to believe and then when you actually go and do them it's like wow okay you know yeah. this might be the final chapter but uh hopefully everybody enjoyed it um if you have not go to um find us on facebook just google fans of motion night ranger we are also on the twitters and the instagram so uh go there as well click like um subscribe to us on the youtube if you would just make me happy hit subscribe um leave a comment on the youtube uh tell me what you liked you didn't like uh, uh people love to tell me what they don't like so uh and i enjoy it so tell me what you liked you didn't like um and uh click subscribe and uh, hopefully none of y'all or uh, you catch what I got. Stay healthy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's the five-year-old man bringing home all the stuff. Maybe it's your COVID ass. Uh, I, yeah, I could have given you something at the KISS yeah, concert. Yes. Uh, for those that don't know, we each, we've met up briefly at the uh, KISS concert in Dayton. So, and there you are. So, um fans of motion episode every week night ranger on a weekly basis you can't beat that brother what do you need all right all right until next week we will talk to you then latest